Thank you, Priscilla. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Welcome to El Paso Bible Church. It is good to see you guys here. And uh, today is our church lunch right after our worship service. Uh, you, you probably smell the goodies in there already. Uh, so if, if you can uh, stay for that, go ahead and do so. Even if you didn't bring anything, there's always plenty of food to go around. Um, I see a movie night for the adults here, and, uh, and, and that's, that's news to me. So I don't have a date. Uh, there's not a date, but uh, I presume it's one of these days at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> and we're watching The Princess Bride. Uh, I told some of our teens here on stage, and they're all like, hey, we should have a movie now. Yeah, but they don't want to watch Nacho Libre, so I don't know what's going to happen there. Um, I am reading um, out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, verse 1. Uh, we're going to show a VBS video uh, that is essentially asking you guys to volunteer for VBS. So... Uh, we're going to do that, and then we'll pray, and then we'll uh, have a time of worship. can sign up for it. We, we have a sign-up sheet in the lobby for you to sign up. So, Would you stand with us this morning? There is a name reigns without contention Whose power can't be questioned or contained With humble faith He rules the earth and heavens His glory knows no measure or refrain And it's bursting past the borderlines of space Jesus Throne upon the praises of our Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. There is a name reaching past the margins. 
calling sons and daughters back to him. And as he sings, we can hear the roar of heaven as prodigals are coming home again. Oh, the triumph of his name will never end. upon the praises of our heart. Jesus, you're the King and you're the center of it all. goodness 
of God. So, so good Every breath that I am Ooh, I will sing Of the goodness of God church all my life all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God So, so good 
Good morning. Hope you all are doing well. Still not suffering from a sugar coma, right, from last Easter. uh, If you have kids at home, that uh, is a real risk, I think. Uh, This morning we have a a happy thing to do. It's uh, not something we do all the time, right, but we get to welcome the Johnsons. Uh, Felicia is probably not here. She's serving in the nursery. Okay, well, um, welcome Felicia. Jeremiah and Felicia have uh, officially joined today, El Paso Bible Church. So um, as we say, extend the right hand of fellowship uh, 
to them uh, in that regard, so we're happy about that. Uh, they've been, been here for about three years now, um, and so many of you know them already, uh, but just make sure you, you know, express congratulations there. Uh, guys, this morning we need to pray. Uh, I don't mind telling you, they, they tell us uh, in seminary and in church ministry and preparation like that, don't ever, don't ever let them see you tired or harried because they'll crucify you. Y'all aren't going to do that, are you? Okay, please don't crucify me about this, but I'm, I'm kind of exhausted <laughs> and a little bit harried and a little bit stressed out. And it's, it's pretty much every day these days. And so I'm going to pray for myself, and I hope that you'll pray for me, with me. Well, that that okay? Can we do that together? All right. Father, thank you for this day. Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace uh, to us, which is sufficient uh, for the needs that we have today. We thank you for the wonderful life that we have. Uh, Father, we know that anxiety and stress and those things are not not part and parcel with the hope and the confidence that you have expressed to us here in First Peter. Uh, Father, we ask today that you would give each one of us, and me in particular, the capacity, the uh, confidence to place that hope at the forefront of the minutes that we have today and the minutes that we have from here to, to the time of your son's revelation, as Peter tells us, when we will receive our inheritance from you. We will be glorified as, as your son is, and we thank you for that. Well, I do pray that you bless our time uh, in your word today. Bless each of those who are here today, and bless our time of fellowship after. Well, and we thank you for that. In your son's name we pray, amen. Uh, so we're going to continue in First in Peter. That shouldn't surprise anybody here. Children, you guys can go to children's church if you're going to children's church. Uh, remember, we don't. We don't require anybody to go to Children's Church, but if that's what you're doing today, go ahead and, and do that. I always like watching the kids excited to go to Children's Church. Grown-ups, y'all don't look like that when you come to big church. I don't know what your problem is. But uh, we're here in First Peter, and I'm just going to give you a little heads up. That verse, 13, starts with, therefore. Therefore. Um, and so... Always, I start with a little bit of a review of the things that we have covered in a book when we're in a series. I try to do that because it's given as a whole. We, we forget that most of these epistles, these letters were written uh, to people that were known by the author. They would read them in a single sitting most of the time, um, and they would understand them. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't read them again and review them and go over, but um, there's a balance there. We're talking about people who speak a different language, who are in a different culture, in a different place, a different time, um, just lots of differences. And so we can't really do justice to it going that fast, okay? But we want to make sure that we keep the connection solid all the way through the book. And so when we see something like a therefore, uh, at El Paso Bible Church, we do not say, just kidding. You can say it if you want. We do not say, what is the therefore, therefore, because that's too corny for how I roll, right? So we don't say that, but we do recognize the function, right? We look at the context before, and we're, we're understanding that now the text is going to call us to an action, and so we need to know what we're dealing with here, right? We've learned that we are, as it says on this slide, that we are choice aliens in the world, that we have a choice position in God's plan, and that's how we are acting 
today. That is our responsibility today. We have a reason to be here or we wouldn't be here. That's fairly simple, right? We have a destiny that's not this world, that we are not citizens of this world. That is not our home. We do not love it, but we do understand that God has a loving purpose for us to be here, and it is a choice purpose, a precious one. He's not here to cause you stress or anxiety or to denigrate you, to cause you problems, or because he hates you. He's here because he loves you and loves me. That's how it is. And we're aliens. Uh, We are sojourners. Scripture calls it sometimes also. We are You realize I didn't just call you Martians. We've talked about the distinction right here in El Paso. You get criticized. Think when you call somebody an alien, you're calling them an extraterrestrial. Don't do that. Don't be those guys. Uh, Alien just means somebody who doesn't have a legal right to be where they are. That changes how you relate to the nations of the world, doesn't it? Your citizenship is not here, church. It is in heaven. Um, You may have expectations because you're an American about how you're going to get treated here. Uh, You might need to moderate those a little bit because you're an alien here. We're choice aliens. We have a purpose. And Peter tells us that the purpose is to obey Christ and obeying Christ knowing that obedience produces blessing. We talked about that picture, right, where Moses, where Peter borrows the picture of Moses sprinkling the people. The only one time that happened in the nation of Israel ever, sprinkling the people with blood from the sacrifice at the inauguration of the law. And the law was a conditional covenant. If you obey, you receive blessing. And so when Peter says that to the church, he's borrowing that imagery that we're sprinkled with the blood, that we have a conditional covenant as well as an unconditional one, that obedience brings blessing in our life. And as choice aliens, we are born again to a living hope. Peter says that that's the the hope that comes by virtue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which guarantees our resurrection. We talked about that last Sunday. Resurrection from the dead, our living hope. Our, Our hope is that our inheritance is ready for us. That it's, you know, when our, when our kids were younger, we tried to invite people over to our home for meals or whatever. We had six kids at home. It's like World War III broke loose every single time. I mean, we're not talking hard meals. We're not talking seven-course, you know, whatever. Just trying to get food on the table. Invite people over for dinner. World War III would break loose and things weren't ready, right? We are not putting God in that position. Our inheritance is ready. It's waiting. The only thing it's waiting for is us to be ready to possess it, to be glorified in the presence of Jesus Christ. And in this life, Peter says, though you are distressed for a little while. I I don't want everybody to raise their hands who's distressed. I want everybody to raise their hand who is not being distressed right now in their life. Roger says he's not being distressed, but I think he's being silly. I'm not sure. Life is distressing. All right. He just had to be one stinker in the room. One. And he's the chairman of the deacon board. That tells you something, doesn't it? All right. You're distressed for a little while. You're distressed for a little while, but because of the hope that you have, 
you can understand that that is for the proof of or the testing of your faith, which results in a reward, right? Praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ that when we stand in front of him, he will offer us a reward for our faithful obedience in distressing times. It's an opportunity, an opportunity for the future. And more than that, we know that as the outcome of simply our faith, and we do keep that distinct, right? The testing of our faith provides reward, but Peter says the outcome of faith and faith alone is simply our glorification, our salvation in that day. Those two things, our living hope, our hope for life. And that's been the work of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Holy Spirit the resurrection and the hope that it has from the very beginning. We've been talking about that in, the, in Sunday school, going through a substantial portion of the Torah, that the whole hope promised even to the people of Israel was that resurrection was to come and that they would receive, receive what God had promised in their own flesh. Those are the things that the therefore is built upon. Those knowledges, those hopes, that information, that status that we have as choice aliens. So now we can get down to 13. It says, therefore, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Anybody else have something weird there? You have it in your footnote. I'm probably, if, if you have a Bible that has footnotes, it'll say in the footnote, Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, do you know what that means? So, NASB isn't famous for that. Uh, you know, the NASB really tries hard. ESV does this also, tries real hard to do a, uh, not a, a word-for-word equivalency, right, of the translation, a strict translation of the words but they couldn't fix that one, really. They couldn't, like, so they had to interpret it. They interpret it. it says, prepare your minds for action. But I think that that's a little bit vanilla, actually, because it doesn't tell you exactly what Peter wants you to do. And I think Peter told us what it looks like to be ready. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, I, I admit to being non-standard. I'm not embarrassed by that. I'm getting to an age now where I'm less and less embarrassed by almost anything. My kids love it. They love it. But um, when I go through the grocery store, my, my dad was a market manager before he was a woodworker for many years at HEB down in Central Texas. And so I pay attention to how, how meat is sold. It's a weird thing. I haven't my dad hasn't been a market manager, you know, since I was 12 years old, but I pay attention. I have not yet. My dad, to the day he died, would take his instant read thermometer into the grocery store and make sure that the meat cooler was cold enough before he bought anything. He didn't work there, but they could have given him a name tag, you know, by that time. I kind of picked up some of that, and so I pay attention. Jim, you were, you're in the grocery business. I bet you you're a real fun at parties for grocery store folks, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, Jim was in the grocery store business. And uh, same idea, you do things for a long time, you develop habits. And one of my habits is to go through the, go through 
the grocery store or even Costco or Sam's or wherever I'm happen to be shopping and look at the number of things that are sold as loins. I think you can buy an apricot loin somewhere at some vegan grocery store. Everything gets sold as a loin. Let me tell you, folks, not everything has a loin. A loin has a definition, and cod don't have it. Salmon doesn't have it. Fruit definitely doesn't have it. There's no celery loins. It has a particular definition, right? So that's a, it's a little bit weird, right? I mean, it's almost like, y'all been to Bucky's? They don't have a Bucky's out here in this half of Texas. One of the things that I like to do when I drive through places with a Bucky's is to pick up a bag of beaver nuggets. You don't know what beaver nuggets are? Just don't ask what part of the beaver is the nugget. I don't know. Same thing with the loins. I don't know what has a loin and what doesn't. There. Anyway, but you have a loin. I have a loin. What, but when you read that, right, you read the footnote, gird up the loins of your mind, you're left. What part of my noose, my noia, the thing that I think with is the loin? How do I gird that up? Sounds painful. Yeah? I don't know. Well, some of you might know that what gird up your loins means. That's one of my earliest Bible lessons that I remember was Pastor Joe Saul, who was not much smaller than I. He was a college lineman for Florida State before he became a pastor. Um, you did not see they had corporal punishment at Believers Academy and I was naughty but I was never naughty in Pastor Joe Saul's Bible class because the teacher who assigned you corporal punishment normally exercised the corporal punishment he had forearms like that it's big old uh, Pastor Joe Saul would stand up on the stage in Bible class and go now children he called us all children occasionally. He said, this is how you gird up your loins. And he would bend down and he would reach way back here, pretending as if he was wearing a robe or a cloak of some sort. Pretend like he's tucking it into his belt. That is what girding up the loins was. You did it so you didn't trip over the hem of your robe. When you were working, when you were fighting, when you were running, that's the picture, so that you were ready. You went from being ready for leisure to being ready for action. So you didn't trip. Minimum standard. I used to serve a, a church where I wore a robe every Sunday. Maybe you, some of y'all didn't know that about me. Now you're really about to crucify me. Ah, don't worry, I wore the robe over my current outfit for the most part. Drove the pastor's wife crazy. I was the associate pastor. We surely needed to gird up our loins, even just to go up this number of stairs. I don't know how many times I tripped over the hem of that robe, just going up the stairs onto a stage. It's minimum standard, just don't trip. This is how you avoid tripping. A little more basic, right? You 
prepare your minds for action. Try not to let your thinking get tripped up. It's a little more basic, right? Everyone wants to gird up their minds, prepare their minds for action. You want to be on the front line. Well, guys, let me tell you something. I don't think that if you go to a special forces school in the military, the first lesson is this is how not to trip. Right? Anybody? I don't think that my grandfather never told me about it. He told me all about jump school. He told me all about how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane that he did a bunch of times. Not once did they actually have a military school on how not to trip. Tony, anybody? No? No, didn't have. Got a number of y'all. See, that's what I'm saying. This is applicable to everybody. Everybody needs to know how not to trip. You don't have to be the Special Forces frontline missionary Christian in order to apply this. This is how not to trip, Isaac. Isaac trips occasionally. He's tripped twice. Almost broke something the last couple of times. Last couple of weeks. It's painful because I know where he gets it. <clears throat> it's applicable to everybody. Basic. Prepare your minds for action. Do your best not to get tripped up in your thinking. Therefore, based on all the things that we know, the living hope that we have, the confidence that we have, the knowledge that our inheritance is ready and waiting, the knowledge that the absolute perfect outcome of faith alone in Christ alone is glory, we can know that, and that will keep us from tripping. Because that's what the world wants you to do. That's what all this business about not knowing if you were born in the right body is about. All the various types of dysphoria, all the things that you can't know. We went through some of those in First John in appreciation for how many things John told us we could know. They want to ask you questions the world does, that they presume that you do not have an answer for. Yeah? They presume that the Bible doesn't answer the questions that they have. Now, I need to guarantee you that the Bible does have answers for those questions. It does. It does have answers for those questions. The only question is whether you know what they are. Yeah? The Bible is sufficient to answer all of those questions. The question is, is my knowledge sufficient of its answers to be able to provide those to people? Or am I going to get tripped up? Which is why, listen folks, we know that expository preaching is not the sexiest thing out there. Right? Nobody says that to me. It's just not sexy, Pastor John. I know it's not. I know that. Y'all don't like me to say sexy from the pulpit. That's okay. I'm non-standard, folks. I told you that already. It's not fashionable. It's not the thing that everybody wants to do, going verse by verse through the Bible. I don't care about that. Now, y'all understand. I feel like I always have to back up now when I say that because y'all still look a little crestfallen when I say I don't care. You understand that there's a caveat to that. I care too much about you to care too much about what you think about that, generally speaking, when I say that. 
You have to have people like that in your life. I hope you have some friends like that that are not your pastor that do not care too much about your feelings, but care about who you are and how you're growing and your relationship with Jesus Christ and the fellowship that you have with other believers. That's kind of what we do at El Paso Bible Church. Because we have a lot of people come in and go out of El Paso Bible Church, and when you go somewhere else, I still care for you. I still care for you, and the thing that I don't want to have happen to you is that you get tripped up in the way you have thought about the questions you're being presented. We talk about this a lot as being an issue for young people in the church. It is not only an issue for young people because the young people that we were initially worried about when I was a young people are now the old people, and they're still getting tripped up. And the way that they're thinking and the way that they're looking to Scripture for the answers that they're providing. That's how you get people that are my age that are proclaiming that Jesus was transgender. And that's being done in I don't know how many pulpits in this nation, in this Christian heritage nation that we live in. Guys, that's, that's my generation. Those are the people that are doing that. And I would not want to have to stand before the Lord or God Almighty and make account for that. I know that a lot of what we do at El Paso Bible Church is not the easy way. I know that. People sometimes come to me and put their hand on my shoulder and say, Josh, you know, Other people do this different ways. You're not giving me anything new. I know. I went to school with a lot of them. We need to be prepared. With the knowledge, yes, in the first part of 1 Peter, yes, the hope that we have, the confidence that we have, the expectation that we have, the knowledge of our identity, both in Jesus Christ and in the world, Both are in this term, choice aliens. But we must be prepared in our minds or we will trip. Gird up the loins of your mind. Prepare to be untrippable, I guess. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. My NASB has italics there, in spirit. That's not there. Because being sober does mean don't get drunk, but that's not all it means. Don't get drunk. One thing, yes, be sober. Scripture gives us other warnings. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And before somebody gets funny, I mean... Wine was really the only thing they could get drunk on back then. It doesn't mean that you don't get drunk on wine, but you could get drunk on whiskey. Right? You all understand that, right? It's still alcohol content, blood alcohol content that does that. They hadn't learned how to distill alcohol yet, as far as I can tell. There's no 70 proof wine out there. Same idea. But it meant more than that. In Greek, uh, it means more than that in their culture. It meant also not to be driven by your emotions, driven by your passions, to be out of control of yourself. 
to not be governed or, or be responsible for creating confusion. Those are things of the world, right? You could insert dysphoria in there instead of confusion, couldn't you? That's the stock in trade of the world, is to keep people confused so that you can no longer know or proclaim anything objectively. Rather, be self-controlled. Be sober. Hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between your fixing your hope or having your complete hope on that one entity and all the things that you are hopeful for. Yeah? Americans of the world over, well, at least until recently, right? We're known as the big optimist in the world, weren't we? Right? Yes? You think that's still true? I don't know if it's still true. I don't feel like it is true in the same way that it was. But that meant that we were hopeful for certain things, weren't you hopeful? You were hopeful that your children would be in a better circumstance than, than you were. Anybody? Just tell me when I hit a point of disagreement. You were hopeful that your children would be in better circumstances than you are, that your, they would be better educated, that they, they would have greater opportunity, that they would also have even a greater work ethic, that they would succeed more, and that that trajectory would continue in successive generations to your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. I don't think we have anybody expecting any great-great-grandchildren here yet. No? Or having any? You got to start real young and live to be real old. It doesn't always happen these days. I'm hopeful for that, and I see reason to be hopeful for that. I do, especially within those who are raised in a discipleship community, in the local body where the church contributes to everybody, in the discipleship of the young people that are growing up in it. Yes, I see reason to be hopeful for that. That's okay. But the thing that I fix my hope on completely in the future must be distinct for the things that I am hopeful for in my lifetime or in the generation succeeding mine. Because it must not be broken. If I fixed my hope completely on it, is that, am I making sense? The things that you are hopeful for may be disappointments. It might be. They might not come to fruition. Through no fault of their own, your children may not fulfill the things for which you were hopeful, or your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren. That may not happen. We have a, a saying that we repeat, right, that, um, what is it? Good men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Cycle. We could talk about the judges' cycle, Right? Faithfulness, apostasy, judgment, deliverance. 
None of those things must be permitted to break the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. The things that you're hopeful for, optimistic for. I hope that you're optimistic. I hope that you're hopeful for the things that you want to have happen. Yes. But I hope more than that, that you have an unbreakable hope in the glory to come. Verse 14, like obedient children. I like that. As obedient, it's a simile. I tell my kids like this, this every once in a while when they were younger, I'd say, I don't care if you feel like being obedient, act like it. People thought I was a serious caveman, and they wanted me to nurture their heart, embrace their spirit, just love on those rebellious little heathens. No, here's the thing. I want you to stay alive, and sin kills you. Rebellion against your parents kills you. It does. And children are not mature enough to understand all of the ramifications of what they're refusing to do or disobedience. They're not. Parents, you must require obedience. You must require obedience because you love your children, and you must discipline them for disobedience. What is Peter saying to us? You may not self-identify as an obedient child. Anyway, don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. I could point you out anyway. Just kidding. I love you all. All right. You don't have to self-identify as an obedient child. Act like one. Understand that God loves you and you have this hope ahead of you and it's fixed completely on the coming of Jesus Christ. Understand that God has things better for you than you can define or pursue for yourselves and trust him with it. And if you don't feel like an obedient child today, pretend. Oh my goodness, that sounds like fake spirituality. No, that is faith. That is believing that God has better for you than you can have for yourself So act like an obedient child, even if you don't have the feels to go along with it. Yeah? That's not legalism, is it? That's the essence of faith. Believe that God has better for you than you have for yourself. Simple as that. As obedient children, be not conformed to the former desires, or maybe your ignorant former desires, in your ignorance. That's the negative command. The idea of being conformed uh, is to be molded, right? My son Simeon and I, before he left us for the land of the Phoenicians, before he skipped town, as we call it, we built a forge in our backyard because I'm foolish. And I didn't see a problem with heating steel to over 2,000 degrees in my driveway covered in sawdust. Not my brightest moment, but we did it. Built a propane Ford, put an air supply in it. 
roaring. The neighbors thought we were about to destroy the whole neighborhood, I'm sure. Because you drop a piece of red-hot steel on anything resembling wood, and it's an instant bonfire. But what we were doing was smelting silver. He wanted to pour silver. And so we melted the silver. We bought some molds, and he made a couple of pieces out of it. That's the idea. Being conformed to the shape of something. You can take a piece of silver and a little bar or a little coin, and then it comes out of the mold, and it's a little cross or whatever. Don't be molded, forced back into a form that you used to hold. You may feel pulverized. Feel pulverized? Slapped back and forth, slapped silly. Soft, that's the idea. Moldable, don't let the distresses of life that are for a short time mold you into something that God does not want for you to be conformed to. It's not good for you. Do not be conformed to things. And you know what they are. He said that that's a matter of experience. And it has a lot to do with what's in your, in your mind, the former desires, the former lusts. Back then, you were ignorant of them. Now you're knowledgeable. Verse 15 says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves. Be holy yourselves. That's actually a fairly common refrain in Scripture. And unfortunately, there's, there's a, some popular theologies floating around that say that, that every time Scripture talks about righteousness or holiness, being set apart, those things, that that's all talking about the thing that, it's all talking about a positional, what I call a positional truth, an imputed character. You know the, the difference, right? When, when, when Scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that is not Abraham's righteousness, it is God's righteousness that is being imputed, reckoned, putting into his column, right? That's imputation. That's a theological term for it. It is crediting you with something that is not yours, right? That's not, every time the Bible says be holy or act right, obey, that's not talking about imputation. In fact, Peter makes it explicit here. He says, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in your conduct or in all your behavior. That's about your actions. Uh, that was about their actions back in Leviticus. That's the, one of the most frequent uses of that command to be holy. Uh, Sometimes it's about what not to eat, what not to worship, what not to do. It was all about their actions. It regulated their behavior. Be holy. Be holy. 
behave in a godly way. Don't be molded to the things that you used to lust after or the lust themselves. Don't be molded by those things, but instead be holy. Because we know better now. And when we know better, we ought to do better. We know what we know what persevering under our trials is designed to do. Yes, we know that it's an opportunity to receive praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can't think of something better than that to choose in my daily life, to, to choose praise, honor, and glory over death, nastiness, and corruption. That seems pretty stark. Yeah. Be holy yourselves, like the Holy One who called you. It's not about imputation, it is about behavior. Imputation, understand, imputation is not a process, imputation happens at a moment in time. You have an identity in Christ, you have His righteousness imputed to you, you have His account, you have life in Him as a consequence of that. It's immutable, it's unchangeable, it's uh, not losable, you can't, you know, I lost my... Well, I lost. It was actually stolen. Drove me crazy. My phone just disappeared last week. It was on a bee removal, flopped out of my pocket. Somebody walked off with it, went to Texas Roadhouse. Drove me nuts. Do you know how often you use your phone? You might as well have just dropped 100 credit cards on the street or something. There's so much of your information on your phone. Drove me absolutely crazy. You know what would drive me more crazy? Than that, and I went real crazy, embarrassingly crazy, not knowing that I possess the imputed righteousness of Christ and that I am his child and that that can't be changed. Right? That simply is the outcome of my faith in Jesus Christ. I am guaranteed glory like Christ's. Absolutely. To people who know that, Peter says, therefore, be holy in your conduct. He doesn't explain that a whole lot. Did you notice that? He doesn't follow it Like in Leviticus when he says, be holy, guess what comes after? (laughs) Law, 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 law. I'm not trying to sing. Law, law, I'm too too Texan. You can't get the W. Law after 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 law, law, law. And then Deuteronomy gives them the law again. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, believers. See, sometimes I have people come ask me weird questions. I think I'm going a little over. I'm sorry, guys. The fried chicken is getting smelling good. I get asked a lot of weird questions. People come in and, and show me a mole, and they're like, Pastor, what do you think about this mole? I don't 
what do you, what do you, I don't, I couldn't even name all the weird stuff that people ask me that I don't have answers to. But you know something else? People come to me and they ask me questions that they, that they have the answer to. Yeah. What is the moral, ethical, righteous, holy thing to choose in this situation? 99% of the time, they know the answer. They just don't like it. And they want me to say, this is a bad bet, guys, because I'm getting older and grumpier. They want me to be soft and squishy enough to give them an out. And I'm not going to do it. If you know what the holy thing to do is, my answer, do that. That's going to cause me stress only for a little while. Praise, honor, and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all temporary. That's going to make me sad. Join the club. Makes me sad when people come and ask me questions that they know the answer to and expect me to give them an out. They expect me not to love them enough to be silly putty at the, their tears or whatever they're throwing at me and to, to change my answer. That ain't going to fly because I love you. All. Regardless of whether you love me back or cry in my office or storm out of the church. Doesn't matter to me. I will love you anyway. But you might say, well, that's an Old Testament quotation, Pastor. Well, yeah, that's where it originates. There are things that are, can I use the word trans? Trans-dispensational. You know, a dispensation is the oikonomia, the manner in which uh, God works at different times with different people. Yes, he told Israel, unindwelt by the Holy Spirit, back in the day of Moses in a previous dispensation, he told them, be holy as I am holy. Do you know how, you think that's a tall order, don't you? Isn't it a tall order for me to tell myself, Josh, be holy the way God is? Well, try doing that without the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit. How do you think that's going to fly? It was a much taller order, and yet it was still given. But it is a transdispensational principle that the children of God are supposed to emulate their Father. Yes? You... (laughs) There are so many ways that I wish I emulated my earthly father. (laughs) He was so much nicer than me. (laughs) People really liked my dad. But there's no way in which I don't want to emulate my heavenly father. Be holy. Be holy. New Testament says that. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7. I think Jacob read that passage this morning. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 7, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, for God has not called us to the purpose of impurity, but in holiness. Be holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that it is only for a little while that we are distressed. Thank you for the opportunity that we have for the testing of our faith and the reward that follows. We thank you for the reminder that as your children, we ought to emulate your character and our behavior. Thank you that we haven't been left without instruction and that you loved us enough to discipline us this way. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you also for this meal that we're about to have, for those that contributed to it and for the fellowship that we'll have over it. Thank you for that blessing that you've given to us as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Can you stand with us, church? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Let me tell you about my Jesus.